thank you uh, very much for coming. Um, good to see you all. I think everybody's kind of festivaled out. There was a little cartoon I saw once that was a long line of people waiting to get into a church on Easter. And two ladies at the back were saying, I wish these people who came week after week could just stay home so we could come once a year. So, John Mastomy is a little like that. On Sunday this week we had 7,000 people here a week ago. And then yesterday, was it Friday? Yes, last night, what, 1,000 people there in in Frisco. So, uh, anyway, those of you who have survived, congratulations. Good to see you. Uh, Yes, my name is Kala Kantadas. I'm from Florida and here to um, visit with you today and share some uh, some teachings from the Bhagavad Gita, the ancient book of wisdom of India. So, this weekend, or this Sunday is a kind of a respite. Last weekend was Krishna's birthday, and next weekend is Radharani's birthday. For those who don't know, Radharani is on the right here, in the center altar, on our right. She is the personification of love of Godhead. And uh, her... Her, her Krishna's birthday was last week, and her birthday is next Saturday. This also marks the 50th anniversary of the installation of Shishi Radha Kalachanji on Saturday. It's a, a big, big festivity so next weekend. So here we are in the in-between weekend, and I'll speak a little more about Radharani in a few minutes, but I'd like to read something from Gita first. Gita is the introductory book to Bhakti Yoga. Let me ask first, who is here for the first time tonight? Welcome. Okay, hi. Very glad you could come. The the Bhagavad Gita is um, a very well-known book on the subject of becoming a yogi, a saintly person, a person who learns to live in this world but not be of it. And I'd like to share with you one of the well-known verses from this section, which is related to Radharani. Uh, in the ninth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, we read in the Sanskrit language, Apichet Sudarachara Bhajate Mamananyabhak Sadur Eva Samantavya Samyag Vyavasito Hisaha. Even if one commits the most abominable action, if one is engaged in devotional service, bhakti yoga, one is to be considered saintly because he is properly situated in his determination. So again, even if one commits something terrible, something inappropriate, if one returns to the position of serving the Supreme, then that shortcoming can be overlooked. This is uh, what's called in Sanskrit uh, chaya, or forgiveness. So in his commentary, the teacher of the Hare Krishna movement, the founder, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada, who published 70 books on the subject of bhakti yoga, writes as follows. The word sudarachara used in this verse is very significant, and we should understand it properly. When a living being is conditioned, he has two kinds of activities. One is conditional, and the other constitutional. So this phrase, a living being, refers to the spirit within the body. The physical body is the external manifestation of our individuality only, and it's temporary. But the internal part that drives this body is called the the living entity or the soul. So as far as 
As for protecting the body or abiding by the rules of society and state, certainly there are different activities, even for devotees, in connection with the conditional life. And such activities are called conditional. In other words, even if one is a spiritualist, there are still material responsibilities in this world. Besides these, this soul who is fully conscious of his spiritual nature and engaged in Krishna consciousness or the devotional service of the Lord has activities which are called transcendental. Such activities are performed in his constitutional position and they're technically called devotional service. What this means is that the soul is by nature a servant of God. And when the soul is acting as a servant of God, that is the constitutional position, the natural uh, fulfilling position of the spirit. Now, in the conditioned state, sometimes devotional service and the conditional service in relation to the body will parallel one another. In other words, sometimes we can be in this world, but not of it. We can be serving God and doing our duties at the same time. But then again, sometimes these activities become opposed to one another. As far as possible, a devotee is very cautious so that he does not do anything that could disrupt his wholesome condition. He knows that the perfection of all activities depends on progressive realization of Krishna consciousness. Sometimes, however, it may be seen that a person in Krishna consciousness could commit some act which may be taken as most abominable socially or politically. But such a temporary fall down does not disqualify him. In the Srimad Bhagavatam, the postgraduate study of the Gita, it is stated that if a person falls down but is wholeheartedly trying to serve the Supreme Lord, the Lord, being situated in his heart, purifies him and excuses him from that abomination. Material contamination is so strong that even a yogi fully engaged in serving God sometimes becomes ensnared. But Krishna consciousness is so strong that the occasional fall down is at once rectified. Therefore, the process of devotional service is also is always a success. No one should deride a devotee for some accidental fall down from the ideal path. For as explained in the next verse, such occasional fall downs will be stopped in due course as soon as the devotee is completely situated in Krishna consciousness. One should not misunderstand that a devotee in the transcendental devotional service can act in all kinds of abominable ways. This verse refers only to an accident due to the strong power of material connections. Devotional service is more or less a declaration of war against the illusory energy. As long as one is not strong enough to fight the illusory energy, there may be accidental fall-downs. But when one is strong enough, one is no longer subjected to such fall-downs as previously explained. No one should take advantage of this verse and commit nonsense and think he is still a devotee. If one does not improve his character by devotional service, then it is to be understood that he is not a high devotee. So the path of spiritual life means, as stated here, declaring war on the power of illusion. What does that mean? In the ordinary life we live, we have these two parallel Existences. One is the external, and, and that involves thinking of ourselves as, as a particular gender, particular race, particular age, a particular body type, all these external identities that pertain to us and we think of ourselves from our birth on. But the spiritual side of our life has nothing to do with these external designations. In other words, we're not this gender, race, ethnicity, or 
or physical type of body. We are a, a, the living force that drives the body. And that life is called spiritual life. So how to balance these two things? We have our duties to take care of our families, our jobs, our, our households, so many responsibilities in this world. And then on the other hand, we have a living soul, or we are a living soul that requires its own kind of nourishment and protection. In the Krishna consciousness movement, practicing bhakti yoga, as Srila Prabhupada taught us, the main process for, for feeding the spiritual side of our life is chanting the names of the Supreme Lord, uh, Radha and Krishna. Here is the mantra, or the sound vibration, which awakens and nourishes the spiritual side of our life. Let's chant together. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Well, these 16 words, or mantra, uh, will have the amazing effect of awakening a transcendental state of happiness and fulfillment within us. It is a spiritual practice, not just a material phenomenon. For example, if we wanted to chant Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Cola-Cola, Coca-Cola, we would get tired of it very quickly. It's a material sound and it is ridiculous. Uh, but a transcendental sound, such as these names of God, or any name of God, when repeated over and over, has this effect of bringing the mind in line with the spiritual side of our existence. That is called meditation. Uh, meditation means to help the mind be, uh, think of spiritual uh, realities or spiritual experiences, as opposed to the external ones. Now, meditation, for most people, means trying to make our restless minds sit still. This is a very challenging proposition. It's something like making a child sit still, a young infant. Uh, you cannot coerce the child into stillness. You know, uh, have you ever been on an airplane, somebody's got a lap child, and they are screaming, and the mother's embarrassed, and everyone's looking and saying, couldn't you please... Control that child. <laughs> this is something like the mind. The mind is childlike in its restlessness and its insistence on going here and there. So meditation is the means by which the mind becomes one's friend, becomes one's support and assistant, as opposed to a nonstop 24-7 uh, uh, <clears throat> Uh, uh, a, I don't want to say what I'm thinking. <laughs> just uh, a merry-go-round? Yes, just a non-stop flow of unwantedness. <laughs> so, trying to make the mind sit still is very difficult. But with a mantra, one can get the mind to cooperate. The very word mantra, which is very well known in the West, means uh, man, mind, tra, release to free the mind from its dominion over our existence. So by chanting the mantra, the spiritual side of our existence becomes uh, enlivened, it becomes awakened, and it becomes powerfully imbued with the ability to find happiness within. Otherwise, we're always looking for happiness without, Right? And looking for happiness outside of ourselves means our source of happiness is now beyond our control. 
If our happiness depends on another person, that person may disappoint us. They may disappear. Uh, if our happiness is dependent on uh, on on the the weather, uh, we are subject to any sorts of of uh, ups and downs, especially here in Dallas, where everything seems to be extreme, uh, either too hot or too cold, right? Uh, or too wet or too dry. Uh, if our happiness depends upon some sort of uh, financial situation, that can fluctuate. So the point is, as long as we are trying to find our joy outside of ourselves, we will always be in a precarious situation. However, when we learn this art of yoga, how to find happiness within, nothing external can cause us to be affected and to lose that happiness. This is the beauty of yoga and the reason why it's so so very valuable in this day and age. So in this verse, it is described that even if one is trying to lead a spiritual life, there's still temptation from the external energy. And in the event that one does something that is inconsistent with one's spiritual values, that can cause great disruption in society. Because people think that somebody is living a religious life, they ought to be uh, perfect. They ought to be flawless. They ought to be exemplary. And as the verse is explaining, sometimes by force of habit or by circumstances, one does something uh, that is inconsistent with spiritual values. So the, the Gita, this teaching of yoga, says, if that happens occasionally, that must be forgiven. There was a story of Queen Victoria when she ascended the English throne. In that, those days, any capital offense had to be brought to the queen. So her first case was brought by an army prosecutor with about an army officer who had done something horrendous. So the state was recommending capital punishment, that this officer who committed this crime be executed. So they brought the case to her, and she listened to the entire uh, litany of his crimes. So after hearing all the things he'd done wrong, she asked the prosecutor, in the course of your investigation, did you find anything good about this man? So the prosecutor was quite surprised by this question. It's not something that the judge would ordinarily ask, right? Mr. Attorney, Dharma Prabhu. <laughs> so <clears throat> the prosecutor hemmed and hawed, and then he said, well, I was told that he was good to his family. Then I forgive him, the queen said. So when people are on the spiritual path, there's a tendency to look for the fault. But as far as the Supreme is concerned, he is looking for what is good. And there is a willingness to overlook the shortcomings. This is the quality of a person who's advanced in their spiritual practice. That instead of seeing the faults in others, they will see the good qualities. Like the, the uh, a fly is attracted to abominable things, smelly things. But the bee is attracted to the fragrant flowers and the nectar in, in them. So the fly-like mentality will say, what is wrong with another person? But the bee-like mentality will say, what is good with another person? How can I catch this person doing something right? Uh, so I brought up the subject of forgiveness because this is the quality of Srimati Radharani. She is particularly uh, merciful and forgiving. In fact, when, when our spiritual master, Srila Prabhupada, first arrived in America, he was an elderly man from India, never been out of India. 
He was 70 years old. He had $4 to his name. He um, <clears throat> reached America on a steamship, having suffered two heart attacks on the trip. And as he was waiting to disembark from the boat, he wrote a, a poem uh, about the people he was about to see. <laughs> he was about to see people who, for whom the idea of spirituality was quite remote and whose understanding of what he had to teach was very distant. So he said to them, My dear brothers and sisters, if you get the favor of Srimati Radharani, you will be happy. If you want to be happy, you need the favor of Srimati Radharani. Srila Prabhupada was bringing us information that God is a person. I know in my upbringing, any idea of God was more of a uh, force, an energy, or at best a very judgmental, temperamental old man. The, the Sistine Chapel in Italy, the God is depicted as the, the dude with the longest beard. He's the oldest guy, so he must be the long, have the longest beard. And the, the notion of God is that he's going to judge you. He basically is on the throne all day, heaven, hell, hell, heaven, heaven. And so he's to be feared. Uh, but what Srila Prabhupada was bringing, it was a much different understanding that God is not uh, judgmental. He is neutral. He is uh, ready to help and to give everybody whatever they wish. Uh, if we want the material side of our life embellished, he will give that. If we want the spiritual side of our life embellished, he will give that. So that's where Radharani comes in. If we want to embellish our spiritual life, we can approach Krishna, this benevolent, beautiful young boy, uh, through Radharani, who is his his uh, love and devotion personified. So, Srila Prabhupada wrote like this, you, if you want your good fortune, just try to get the favor of Radharani. So, Radharani is very forgiving. She is very accepting. Whatever we have done in the past, if we approach Radharani, she will forgive. We get a fresh start. And from that point, we can... Uh, expect that she'll put in a good word for us with Krishna. This is why we say Hare Krishna. Hare refers to Radharani. Hare comes first. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna and Rama are names of the Supreme, the all-attractive uh, person, the reservoir of all pleasure. And we approach him through Radharani, Hare uh, so taken together, this prayer means, my dear Krishna, my dear Lord, please let me serve you. Please engage me in your service. It is a, a very innocuous uh, prayer. Instead of asking God for things, we're asking for the opportunity to serve. So this is Radharani. I'm going to conclude by reading a few of these uh, exalted descriptions of Radharani found in the Chaitanya Charitamrita, the uh, beautiful description, <coughs> excuse me, of Lord Krishna's recent incarnation, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. On our left, on the far left side, is the deity of Lord Chaitanya, uh, who introduced this chanting of Hare Krishna 500 years ago as the most effective means of meditation for this day and age. So Lord Chaitanya is, in fact, the combination of Radha and Krishna. Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Radha Krishna Nahiyana. So, in describing Srimati Radharani, we have the following. 
The essential part of loving God is called Mahabhava, transcendental ecstasy, and that ecstasy is represented by Srimati Radharani. Among the gopis of Vrindavan, Srimati Radharani are, uh, and another gopi are considered chief. However, when we compare the gopis, it appears that Radharani is the most important because her real feature expresses the highest ecstasy of love. The ecstasy of love experienced by the other gopis cannot compare to that of Srimati Radharani. The gopis are all of Krishna's female consorts, and they are the emblems of love of God, the highest exemplars of loving God. But amongst them all, Radharani is the chief. The body of Srimati Radharani is a veritable transformation of love of Godhead. She is the dearmost friend of Krishna, and this is known throughout the world. I worship Lord Krishna, the primeval Lord, who resides in his own realm, Goloka, with Radha, who resembles his own spiritual figure and who embodies the ecstatic potency, Ladini. Their companions are her confidants who embody extensions of her bodily form and who are imbued and permeated with ever-blissful spiritual taste. This is a verse from the Brahma Samhita. That supreme ecstasy of Srimati Radharani is the essence of spiritual life. Her only business is to fulfill all the desires of Krishna. Srimati Radharani is the topmost spiritual gem, and the other gopis, Lalita, Vishaka, and so forth, are expansions of her spiritual body. Srimati Radharani's transcendental body is brilliant in luster and full of all transcendental flavors. Lord Krishna's affection for her is like a perfumed massage. Srimati Radharani takes her first bath in the shower of the nectar of compassion, and she takes her second bath in the nectar of youth. So this is her first, her first uh, appearance in our lives, the, the shower of compassion. And she is so forgiving that anyone can approach her and get her kindness. Uh, and then she takes her, her next bath in the nectar of youth, youthful beauty for Krishna. After her midday bath, Radharani bathes again in the nectar of bodily luster. She puts on the garment of shyness, which is exactly like a black silk sari. Radharani's affection for Krishna is the upper garment, which is pinkish in color. She then covers herself with another garment comprised of affection and anger towards Krishna. So Radharani is known as the um, <clears throat> uh, as being on the side of Krishna that is not submissive. She is, uh, she is always uh, teasing Krishna, testing Krishna, and Krishna loves that reciprocation with her. Once, for example, Srimati Radharani's uh, husband uh, was uh, always keep telling Krishna to keep away from her. Krishna was just a young boy, but he would come see even these married girls, and their husbands and their mothers would be very upset. This is Krishna's uh, right, because as the supreme personality of Godhead, he is actually everybody's uh, husband. So Radharani was technically married to another person, Abhimanyu. And Abhimanyu's mother, Radharani's mother-in-law, was always watching out for this rascal Krishna coming around. So Krishna decided to dress himself up as Abhimanyu one day. And, and he was there in the house of Radharani in disguise as, as her husband. So when the real Abhimanyu started coming towards the house, uh, Krishna told Abhimanyu's mother, oh, there comes that rascal Krishna dressed as me. Yeah. 
And then she went out and beat him with the stick. <laughs> so in this way, Radha and Krishna are always engaging in these very, um, very beautiful and unique pastimes that make us reminded of God's personhood. So, Radharani's personal beauty is compared to kumkum powder. Her affection for her friends is compared to sandalwood pulp. The sweetness of her smile is compared to camphor. All these combined together are smeared over her body. Her love for Krishna is like an abundance of musk. By that musk, her whole body is decorated. Covered anger and craftiness constitute the arrangement of her hair. The quality of anger due to jealousy is just like the silk covering her body. Her attachment for Krishna is the reddish color of betel nuts on her brilliant lips. Her double dealings in loving affairs are just like the black ointment around her eyes. The decorated ornaments on her body are the blazing ecstasies of goodness, and those constantly existing ecstasies are headed by jubilation. All these ecstasies are like ornaments all over her body. These bodily ornaments constitute 20 kinds of ecstatic symptoms. Her transcendental qualities are the flower garlands hanging in fullness over her body. <coughs> Excuse me. The tilak of fortune is on her beautiful broad forehead. Her various loving affairs are a gem and her heart is the locket. Radharani's gopi friends are her mental activities, which are concentrated in the pastimes of Lord Krishna. She keeps her hand on the shoulder of her friend who represents youth. <clears throat> Radharani's earrings represent the name, fame, qualities of Lord Krishna. The glories of Lord Krishna's name, fame, and qualities are always inundating her speech. Srimati Radharani induces Krishna to drink the honey of loving relationships. She is therefore engaged in satisfying all the desires of Krishna. Radharani is exactly like a mine filled with valuable jewels of love for Krishna. Her transcendental body is complete with unparalleled spiritual qualities. If one should ask about the origin of love of Krishna, the answer is that origin is, is in Srimati Radharani alone. Who is the most dear friend of Krishna? The answer again is Srimati Radharani alone. No one else. Srimati Radharani's hair is very curly. Her two eyes are always moving to and fro. And her breasts are firm. Since all transcendental qualities are manifest in Srimati Radharani, she alone is able to fulfill all the desires of Krishna no one else. Even Satyabhama, one of the queens of Krishna, desires the fortunate position and qualities of Srimati Radharani. All the gopis learn the art of dressing from Radharani, even the goddess of fortune, Lakshmi, who is, and the wife of Lord Shiva, Parvati, desire her beauty and qualities. Indeed, Arundhati, the celebrated chaste wife of Vishista, also wants to imitate her chastity and religious principles. Even Lord Krishna himself cannot reach the limit of the transcendental qualities of Srimati Radharani. How then can an insignificant living entity count them? So this is the description of Radharani given by the great devotee Ramananda Roy. And I just wanted to share this with you. Even though these topics are very elevated and the occasion of her appearance, uh, we will be hearing and being purified by these narrations. So I will stop there. Thank you for your kind patience. Let me now ask if anyone has any reflections, questions, or comments. When, when we're in anxiety, uh, when we are unhappy, 
Those are signs that we're not uh, properly feeding the spiritual side of our lives. Uh, it's compared the, the soul inside the body is compared to a bird inside a cage. So you may have a beautiful cage, fancy, and you may polish it and decorate it, but if you're not feeding the bird, then in spite of the beautiful cage, the bird will die. In the same way, we may uh, get all kinds of material accomplishments and attend to all our responsibilities very well. But if we fail to feed our spiritual side, then the result will be we'll be anxious, we'll be unhappy, we'll be dissatisfied. Just look at the tabloids at any checkout stand, uh, and what do we see? This celebrity in, uh, in scandal, that celebrity in divorce, that celebrity in therapy, right? All the people who ostensibly haven't made materially, very successful, very famous, very wealthy, they're in anxiety. And this is just one of the many evidences of what happens when we neglect our spiritual life. If we're taking care of our spiritual life, we'll be happy in any circumstances. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatmana Sochati Nakankshati. In the spiritual life, in a healthy spiritual life, there is no hankering, no lamenting, and one is feeling joyful all the time. Is that all right? Okay, anything else? I believe that's in the nectar of devotion. Anyone else remember that? No, Krishna dresses as Abhimanyu. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> People think of God in this very staid, frightening way, but he's actually full of juice. He's full of fun. He is always pulling fast ones. Uh, and he is not at all compromised by it. I was just speaking with my friend Giri Rajswami in, in uh, California recently. And he told a story about, uh, related to Radharani. So there were several young Westerners traveling with Srila Prabhupada in India back in 1968. And this was the first time that they had been to India. And they were uh, taking it all in, learning so much, but two of them got in an argument. Uh, one of them, named Madhuvisa, said, there is no difference between Krishna and his brother Balaram. And then another, Jamuna, said, well, there is a difference because Krishna has a relationship with Radharani and Balaram does not. So they were arguing back and forth. And finally, Tamal Krishna Goswami, our beloved uh, departed teacher here in Dallas, went to Srila Prabhupada and asked. He said, uh, so Madhavisa says there's no difference between Krishna and Balaram. Srila Prabhupada said, he is right. And then he said, but Jamuna said there is a difference. Krishna has a relationship with Radharani different than Balaram's. Prabhupada said, she is right. And then Tamal Krishna Maharaj said, so, but Prabhupada, Madhavisa and, ja and Jamuna can't both be right. Prabhupada said, you are right. <laughs> so this, this little vignette illustrates the unlimited capacity of Krishna to satisfy everybody and to appear in different uh, situations unique to each and every individual. So to get Krishna's mercy, we can approach Srimati Radharani, and I, I hope everyone will take full advantage of that auspicious opportunity next Saturday. Thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Hare Krishna. 
हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल यस वी वुड लाइक टू थैंक हिज ग्रेस कालकांत प्रभु फॉर कमिंग टू डैलस अपलिफ्टिंग अस touching our hearts inspiring us to get better so thank you very much kalakanta prabhu please keep coming 